Hey everybody, and welcome back to the BookTube channel. Uh, my name is David Walters, again, uh, of fanfiatic.com, and today I am with author Sam J. Miller. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. The sun just came out. It's been snowing for approximately 11 years in New York City, so <laughs> I'm doing good. I have natural good. light. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we actually had our first, I guess you could call it a snow day, uh, was it been about a week ago now? I'm in Alabama, so... Uh, we had, I don't know, a quarter of an inch. Maybe <laughs> it lasted, it lasted for all of about two hours. And, uh, and then like the next day, you know, it was like 70 degrees. So right. well, <laughs> context is everything with snow, you know, New York city gets six feet of snow and we're like, yeah, whatever we can handle it. But you know, Texas, for example, if folks oh, aren't, gosh, if, if, if the infrastructure is not there and folks aren't ready for it, it can really mess you up. So, oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we had the we had the uh, we called it a snowpocalypse. Uh, what's it been about five or six years now? Uh, where basically, I don't know, it was like an inch or two of snow and just a ton of ice just basically shut down most of Alabama for like three days. Wow! <laughs> and like I was I was stuck downtown, uh, and I, I mean I think it took like three or four hours to go a block oh. <laughs> in my car. <laughs> so wow. It was bad. Yeah, it, but yeah, it's it's all in context. It's all you know who who's actually prepared for it. You know we. I think we have like one salt truck in the whole state. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, I kind of wanted to start off uh, just having you, you know, tell tell us about yourself. Tell us about growing up uh, and kind of how you got into writing. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I grew up in upstate New York, um, and for folks who don't know, I mean, uh, New York City is like, you know, this beautiful, progressive, cultural, wonderful place. But people tend to think New York State is just like that. And it is not. And upstate New York is pretty, you know, parts of it are pretty, you know, rural and economically depressed and um, politically conservative. Um, like there were a lot of Confederate flags around me uh, when I was growing up, even though I'm in huh. New York State. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in a place that was pretty um, you know, hard hit by sort of economic situation and, um, you know, where it wasn't super uh, progressive. And for a young gay Jewish kid, there was not a lot, there were not a lot of people like me. Um, and um, I sort of actually like started writing almost as like a, writing for me started by telling lies so people would like me. So for example, this, the, the elementary school I went to was like this farm school where none, hardly any of the kids even had televisions, let alone were going to the movies. Um, so I would tell people um, like in second and third grade that I had seen all these horror movies that I hadn't really seen, um, but they hadn't seen them either. So I could tell them the plot of these movies and it had nothing to do with the reality of the movie, of course, um, but they didn't know that. And I could like, you know, I would tell them this whole story and then I would be like, and then I'll tell you, you know, come back tomorrow at recess and I will tell you what happens next. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, for me, for me, that's how it started was telling lies. So people would like me. And, and, and then I guess in the process of that discovered that, telling ridiculous stories is really fun and I enjoy it and might might be kind of good at it. So um, that was the beginning of my writer journey. I was also really fortunate because my mom is a great writer and was publishing stories in really prestigious literary journals um, uh, since before I was born. And so when I was 11, 12, she showed me how to like write a self-addressed stamped envelope and write a cover letter and find magazines to submit to. So I've actually 
I had been submitting to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction since I was 12, and at age wow. four, and at age 40, I just sold my first story to them two years ago. I'm now 42. So yeah, been been doing it for for a while. I gotcha. Yeah, you you were just talking about you know kids going to see movies, and I was just thinking the other day, I was I was talking to my wife, and I go. You know, it's really weird that there's a possibility that our daughter never goes to a movie theater. Wow. How crazy is that? Like, because we're, cool. we're just talking about, you know, how, how, you know, HBO is doing this whole, like, you know, all these things are coming on demand on HBO Max this year from Warner Brothers. And, and I was like, all these movie theaters are just, you know, really struggling. And now they're trying to raise minimum wage and all stuff. And I go, she may never know what it's like to go to a movie theater. How weird is that? Yeah, that's 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 super scary. Although I did, you know, um, the timeline ideally is going to match up because they're talking in New York State about opening theaters up again at twenty five percent capacity five days before Godzilla versus Kong comes out, mm. and I really don't want to watch that on my television. I really <laughs> want to see that on the big screen. So I'm very hopeful that um, the numbers stay down. Of course, because I want the pandemic to subside, but also. Right. Really but, but also because we want to see King Kong in a big screen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> so um, just uh, I read I read a little bit about you. I, I feel like I know you now. I've read uh, a lot about you on your website and kind of followed you on social media and stuff. So so you grew up, uh, your father and I guess your grandfather was butchers. And that was kind of, I guess, what your role was going to be at one time. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I come from a long line of butchers. Um, and, you know, I when I turned 12, my dad was like, all right, you don't have Saturdays anymore. You're going to come to work with me. And, you know, he put me to work from a really young age, um, cutting meat, uh, being a butcher. So um, it was definitely in my blood. I think that um, there was definitely a there's definitely a timeline where that was my life. But my mm -hmm. father to his credit, was really like, he worked really hard. Um, you know, owning a small business is really difficult. Um, and it was a real struggle for him. And it was incredibly stressful and difficult and ultimately unsustainable. And when Walmart came to town um, in the 90s, um, you know, it really it put us out of business, like a lot of small businesses in my hometown. Um, but my father really didn't want that for me. He was really determined that I would like go to college um, and, um, you know, be able to find a job that didn't require me to be standing up and carrying heavy things and like, you know, worrying about, you know, paying his employees and all these things. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that even if that hadn't happened, even if Walmart hadn't come along, um, you know, my father wanted me to not be doing that for a living. And I wanted very badly to get the hell out of Hudson, New York. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I probably would not have stayed uh, in Hudson to be a butcher, even if the store hadn't gone out of business. Um, mm -hmm. But certainly had I wanted to, that would have been the sort of like, you know, natural um, storyline, I think. Yeah, the, the natural progression of things. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, so tell me, so uh, you know, you you've been writing clearly for a while. Um, who uh, who did you who, who influenced you? I guess growing up, as far as as far as reading, and you know, maybe if there was somebody you know you wanted to potentially emulate. I guess uh, I know I know that's I don't know if that's a, a good word to use for authors nowadays because you don't want to emulate anybody; you want to be original. But you know, who I guess early on would you say? Yeah, I, I definitely um, wanted to emulate, um, you know, I read a lot of Ray Bradbury. I think Ray Bradbury was the first writer who made me really fall in love with language and the idea that you can, like, the way you write sentences shapes the story that you tell and that, you know, you can have horror 
and poetry. You can have wonder and lyricism. Um, and also just like really tight, really good story writing. Um, so uh, that was definitely an early thing. Stephen King, um, I think, I know I'm not the only one who was like a young baby horror fan who was like obsessed with Stephen King and in certain ways still is. Um, mm -hmm. So Stephen King was really important. I think that, um, I think that those are sort of like the writers of my childhood um, and the writers of my adulthood. Um, I think writers like Octavia Butler, um, who uh, is amazing and sort of like, was like a really transformative uh, experience discovering her, her work. Um, my husband uh, turned me on to her. Um, and it was just really amazing because she, like I, I've always been, you know, I've, when when Walmart came to town and put us out of business, it turned me into a little communist um, when I was 15. You know, I was like um, very acutely aware of the injustices of global capitalism from a young age. And, and you know, as a as a as a Jew in a in an anti-Semitic world, as a gay man in a homophobic world, um, always been sort of acutely aware of systemic injustice and really, you know, wanting to do something about it. And and have always been in activism on on one level or another. So I. Um, you know, uh, really wanted, to, like I, I spent 15 years as a community organizer um, in New York City working on issues of homelessness, housing and policing. Um, and Octavia Butler was the first one who showed me that you can be an activist with your writing. It's not just like, you know, be, do, your, do your writing and do your activism. It's like that, that can be one thing. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, so that was really game changing for me. And, and I, you know, Ted Chang remains my favorite short story writer. Um, and, and his, his work was also really like transformative and like helped me achieve a paradigm shift in, in how I thought about writing. I gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, n nobody ever stays a Stephen King fan or anything that th th doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one reviewer said of my new novel, The Blade Between, that it was like James Baldwin meets Stephen King, which I had never thought of that. But that those are like my two, in many ways, my sort of like greatest role models of writing, of like um, being able to write about the gnarly horror monster shit and the gnarly social justice, um, you know, power dynamics of America. Um, so to, the idea that someone would see that uh, in, in something of mine is, was pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Um, so yeah, Stephen King definitely remains... Um, right up there. I had to I had to reread Needful Things while I was writing The Blade Between because there's a spoiler alert. There's a lot of sort of like similarities uh, in the story, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't accidentally doing something that I read in Needful Things when I was 15 years old and um, had sort of digested and forgot that wasn't mine. And then right. I was like, why don't you do this? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Except maybe that some maybe maybe someone already already did that. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, Stephen King is in me in more ways than I can probably uh, count. I gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Stephen King's usually like in the top five for just about any author. At least, at least in, in the past couple of years when I've been doing these chats, I feel like his name has always come up, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, uh, you know, romance, even. I mean, it's it's, it's just everybody's like, well, was, I was, when I grew up, I read Stephen King. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of, I guess, it's just kind of what you do. So um, now, as far as as far as writing goes, uh, tell me a little bit about your writing process. How has it evolved over the years from you know writing to magazines to actually writing your first you know debut? Um, I think that the big the big change um, 
I mean, so first of all, I've always written both novels and short stories. I wrote my first novel when I was 17 um, on a Salvation Army typewriter, um, single spaced, like really tightly, like it was a bad scene all around. Um, <laughs> but, you know, before you even started reading, it was shitty. Um, uh, and once you did, it was worse. Um, so I've always <laughs> written novels, um, but I nobody wanted them. Like when, when my first um, novel, when my debut novel, The Art of Starving came out in 2017, that was actually my seventh novel. I had written six novels before that, that no one wanted. And I sent them, you know, I'm, you know, I, I know the drill, right? I sent them to every agent, every editor, every independent publishing house, trying desperately to get a home for them. And, you know, every time you fail to sell a novel, it's really depressing and really miserable and painful. And the only cure is to like do another one, which, Sounds like addict behavior of like, oh man, that was rough. I better do that again. Right. Um, so so yeah, like I um I had always been writing short stories and novels and trying to get better. For me, the real game changer was going to the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop uh, in 2012, which was a really amazing experience. It's it's such a great workshop for if you can uh, if you can make the 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 time in your life to take six weeks and you know, spend the not in not insignificant sum of $5,000. Um, it was really a game changer for me. And um, so so that really got me thinking about story in a whole new way. And um, uh, I think that, um, you know, as writers, we have to sort of hold two contradictory thoughts in our head, two contradictory beliefs. One is I'm good, like my stuff is good. Someone should read it. Um, you know, if I send it like trees should be cut down so that books can be printed so that people can read my work, right? That's a certain kind of crazy hubris. Um, mm -hmm. But also the other thing is like, you're not that great. Like uh, you have a lot of improving to do. You um, still have a lot to learn. You are not a perfect writer. So Clarion was where I realized that like, I'm good and I have a long way to go. And, and, um, and being able to embrace both those things um, made my short stories get a lot better. And that, that sort of helped, um, helped me sell short stories in a way that um, laid the groundwork for selling a novel. Because it's very hard to sell a novel. Um, you know, for, for a first time novelist, it, it's not unheard of, it happens all the time, but it's, you know, numerically rare. It's, it's much more common, um, you know, to, for, for writers to sort of cut their teeth and build an audience um, and build a, build a platform, for want of a better word, by publishing in places, getting short stories out there, you know, um, figuring out who you are and what you do and who your audience is um, and how to connect with them. Yeah. And I feel like that's definitely changed over the, uh, over the past, we'll say 10 years. Um, you know, you've got self-publishing now uh, you've got, um, you know, like what things like Wattpad or, you know, people can uh, subscribe to your Patreon and stuff like that, where you can, you can have your stuff out there. And then as you, like you were saying, you build that audience, eventually you're going to you know, be seen by, you know, publicists and and sometimes by by agents as well it's still rare but it happens um so as far as as far as your writing process do you uh do you outline everything do you just sit down and write and as words come to you uh or has that changed you know since book one to book what book are you on now 
Um, well, my fourth, my fourth, my fourth one just came out, and my fifth one is sort of like in the percolation phase. Oh, I just, I just meant, I meant period, not, not oh, just published works. Know. I don't even know. <laughs> Probably eleven or twelve. Okay. Um, you know, there's sort of like these two schools of thought of like, are you an outliner or are you a pantser? Do you play it like by the seat of your pants and just sort of figure it out? And I'm sort of like a hybrid. I'm a half pantser. I have like one leg in my pants and I'm like hopping around um, because I'll start to write an outline. I'll have every intention of writing an outline. Um, I'll think, yes, if I outline this, I'll figure it all out and know what I'm doing. Um, but then I'll get halfway through and I'll be like, but I don't know what this character would do in this situation. I don't, you know, know the relationships yet. I haven't figured out some of the key sort of like, um, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And if I'm just plugging in, like, then they, then this person betrays this person and then this person falls in love with this one, um, you know, then I, that might, might not make sense for that character. So usually once I've started to figure out the outline, I'll just start writing. Um, and mm -hmm. I'll write some exploratory chapters and I'll think, well, let me just write a chapter not to be part of the book, just sort of figuring out who this person is. And, and as I write, the characters come to life and then they start making the decisions for me of like, no, I would never betray that character. I would only, I would, I would definitely not fall in love with that character. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I outline, but I, you know, I personally find that my work, work, works best when my characters um, are real enough to me that they start, um, you know, they attain some kind of sentience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that, you know, bit about kind of writing it almost on the side. You're like, okay, here's here's this character arc and let's see how they fit in and kind of go back and your, your ability to edit, I guess, kind of their their entire story on a, on a separate sheet of paper or a separate document. Do you, do you use Scribner uh, when you write? I do. I do use uh, Scrivener. I I, um, I found it really helpful. Most of um, my, certainly my adult novels, Blackfish City and The Blade Between are pretty complicated in terms of point of view characters and timelines. Um, my young adult novels, less so, but still, still an issue. Um, so Scrivener has been super helpful to me for like moving stuff around and realizing like taking this discrete chunk and moving it here. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I love it. I find it super helpful. Um, Microsoft Word is, um, you know, the best worst option for short stories, I think. Uh, and certainly with novels, like one, one thing is like, you know, a lot of times with when you get your edit from your editor, um, they usually use Microsoft Word. So you mm -hmm. have to have it. You have to sort of like be able to process a large number of comments and, and, and you know, track changes, things like that. So, you know, the tech tools are, um, you know, we use the best that are available and they're not always great, but, um, you know, um, they are what's there. Just like, just like you know, fucking like changing the typewriter ribbon was a pain, and changing the paper every 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 time. You, like you know, it's always been frustrating. So it's right. great. That, you know, relatively speaking, having come from like writing on a typewriter to the age of Scrivener, I'm much happier now. The the technological problems are much more minimal. You know, even like you know, uh, 15 years ago when um, everyone was using. Microsoft Word, Microsoft Word was not as good. And so things like, you know, autosave auto um, wasn't oh, so good. And so, <laughs> so yeah, there were definitely days where things were worse. So anytime I start talking shit about my technology, I remember that like, uh, it could, it could, it, it, it was worse. It could easily be worse. 
Oh yeah, that, that's why I, I'm always baffled when uh, I talk to writers and they say they handwrite everything. I go, how in the world do you go back and like check your stuff? But like that seemed that sounds like it would take forever. I did try that. I did figure like, let me at least make this attempt. And I and I um, at the time, um, you know, had a long subway ride commute every day. So I said, let me like write on the subway since I, you know, I'm limited in what I uh, I can't bring my laptop on the subway and write. Um, so what I found was that my writing got really slow. Like the pacing was really slow, like because like the pace of my, like I can type much faster. Um, mm. And so like the things can move much faster, but when I write by hand, it's just, it's, it's much slower, which for some writers is probably good. There's definitely writers who have a slower pace to their work and, and that could be beneficial, but not for me. That was, that was a egregious mistake. <laughs> I gotcha. So um, let's kind of uh, get into your books a little bit. So we'll, we'll talk about the four that you've got published now. So, and uh, first of all, you've had quite a few award wins, some nominations, several mentions on top of having translations in several languages. So first off, congratulations thank on you. All, all of your success with that. Thank um, you, thank you. But, but I want to lead off by asking about your, your young adult debut, The Art of Starving, which won the Nebula in 2017. Can you tell me about the novel and where you drew your inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I think of that as sort of like my breakthrough, not just because it was the first one that was published, but it was the novel where I realized what I had to do as a novelist. Um, I think that a lot, I, I, am, I started out like a lot of writers thinking like, um, you know, there are certain stories that the public doesn't want, that publishing doesn't want, um, and that I should try to write, you know, the Hunger Games or whatever, whatever the big thing is, whatever's being published. Um, like I love the Hunger Games. So I wasn't being like, like my desire to write the Hunger Games was because I love the Hunger Games um, and genuinely appreciated what it was doing. But I also thought like, um, you know, my stories about being like a bullied gay boy uh, with an eating disorder are not the kind of things that publishing wants. And I don't see any books like that on the shelf. Um, so let me, you know, that, that I can't tell that story. I can't write that novel. Um, and so part of why I wrote all those novels no one wanted was because I was trying really hard not to tell my own story or the story that was most important to me. Um, and it wasn't until I said, you know what, like, fuck that. <laughs> I want to write the book that only I can write. Um, I want to go to the place that I've been avoiding going um, that I really like my writing came alive in a way that 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 publishers could get excited about, uh, you know, is the only way I can put it. So, um, you know, I definitely had this experience as a teenager of having an eating disorder um, and feeling like um, that, like, it wasn't there was a there was a lot of body image issue uh, issues tied up in it, but it wasn't so much about body issue as it was about power and feeling in control and feeling like in a world where everything around me was like violence and ugliness, um, and 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 no one was valuing me for me. Um, that only by becoming violent and becoming and exerting power could I feel powerful. And so um, that, that, you know, using, applying the sort of like funhouse mirror magic of speculative fiction to say like, let's take this and turn it like up all the way. I was like, well, you know, what if my eating disorder gave me superpowers? Like what if starving myself awakened supernatural abilities? Um, and how would I use those to take revenge on everyone who had wronged me? Um, so, you know, a little bit of wish fulfillment, a little bit of bloody revenge, um, 
you know, some some sex, um, you know, all the things that uh, I, you know, uh, had been scared of writing, um, you know, that's what went on the page and that's what, you know, ultimately um, uh, sold. Like I also, like I've always loved young adult and really wanted to write young adult, but I had this sort of idea in my head that even though like I had read a lot of young adult and I knew that young adult was like full of sex and profanity and violence uh, and drug uh -huh. use. Um, I also had in my head that it had to be really clean and really, you know, you had to pretty it up. And I was, you know, two of my teachers at Clarion were Cassandra Clare and Holly Black, both of whom are amazing young adult writers. And they were really like, no, go there. Like whatever you can, like whatever horrific thing you can think of, there's a young adult book that does that. There's probably several. Um, uh -huh. so, so if you go there, it will, it, it doesn't mean it's a deal breaker. Um, and so like when my editor, my amazing editor at Harpoutine made an offer on the book and I was having an initial phone call, I was like, so tell me like, how comfortable are you with the amount of F-bombs and gay sex in this young adult novel? And she said, I think it has the perfect amount of F-bombs <laughs> and gay sex. And that's when I knew uh, I had found a good home for it. I gotcha. Yeah, it, it is interesting because, uh, you know, you're right. When you think of young adult, you think of, uh, you know, like what, you know, that the age group, you're like, what would they be interested in? And, it, and it's kind of like mind blowing that it's exactly what you, you wrote. It's kind of like that. That's kind of what life is like, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I guess when you when you really boil it down, you're like, OK, well, Hunger Games is young adult and Divergent and all that stuff. So those are fairly clean. They've got some violence on them, but they're not like too over the top. But I do find it interesting how you know, you spent all that time trying to write something like that and not writing really what you wanted to. And then when you do, it, everything just like hits. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, I think this is a like, like, yes, my issues as a, as a gay boy are unique to me. Well, they're not unique to me, but they're not universal. Um, I think everyone has that, like those experiences that, that they think are too ugly or too um, complicated um, uh, that the world doesn't want. Um, and um, I think that, that going there is really important, especially for folks like who are, you know, people of color, immigrants, women, like there's a lot, like, especially if you're not a straight cis white male, um, uh, then you probably had experiences that are really rough and, 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 and that are rooted in the injustices of the world. Um, and that white supremacy uh, or patriarchy says, you know, no, we don't want to hear about that. So I think that, mm -hmm. that it's an extra hurdle that, that writers from marginalized communities have to have to deal with of like, We've been told for so long that our stories um, don't matter or are, aren't welcome or are only applicable to us and don't have mm -hmm. universal appeal the way that like a straight love story supposedly uh, has universal appeal. Um, so I think that that's a lot. That's the thing that a lot of folks have to sort of, you know, internalize stuff that we have to sort of confront and, and, and grow from. Yeah. And I feel I feel like now that those types of stories are being told and being published and so forth that you know, it's just had this like boom in publishing because, you know, I feel like I just can't keep up anymore. <laughs> there's just, there's just so much stuff coming out and it's just like hitting from left and right. And I was just talking to uh, another author, uh, Nick Martell today. Uh, and he goes, I noticed uh, on the blog that you've added some reviewers. I'm like, I can't keep up. I've got to keep adding people. I'm like, I yeah. think I'm up to 13 now. I'm like, I just get requests, requests, requests. And I, and I just can't, I can't please everybody. I'm a people pleaser. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's one of those things, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's so refreshing though because we're not reading the same stories over and over again we're getting like you said we're getting the stories from from people who have you know, basically been silenced for x amount of years and now that we're getting it we're realizing how much how much great fiction is out there that we're just not able to see yeah. um and it's about time yeah. <laughs> it's it's taken way too long yeah. um but uh all right, so I want to I want to talk about your your next one now. So this this will be your adult debut. So let's talk about your John W. Campbell Award winning novel Blackfish City. So it's a future with rising seas causing dramatic geopolitical changes, and it sounds phenomenal. So tell us tell us a little bit about uh, what it's about, and um, and then we'll go on to the next one. Yeah, it's about a, a floating city in the Arctic after um, you know climate change has sort of ravaged the globe, and there have been horrific wars fought over access to dwindling resources, and um, there's mass migration from nations like the United States that um, have been hit really hard, um, and that are that there's this folks are sort of fleeing northward um, as as the sort of cities of the South burn, um, and uh, um, into this floating city arrives a woman. Um, with a killer whale on a, and a polar bear on a mission. Um, and she sort of sets in motion a chain of horrific mayhem and delightful, um, delightful touching family scenes. Horrific mayhem and touching family scenes. <laughs> you got me on animal companions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't always, beat animal companions. <laughs> no, there's always an animal companion somewhere in my work. <laughs> awesome uh so next we have destroy all monsters which is another uh ya novel viewers that's uh it's called half gritty contemporary and half epic fantasy so what is it about and why did 17 call it one of the best ya books of 2019 uh uh destroy all monsters is sort of told from two perspectives right one is is this sort of like realistic story of a teenager named ash who's a photographer and uh, her best friend is this guy named Solomon, who's sort of like has a incipient mental illness that's pretty significant and is probably schizophrenia, but hasn't been diagnosed. Um, and so she's really worried about him and she's trying to get to the bottom of a trauma that they both experienced when they were 12 um, that might have, uh, uh, that he hasn't processed accurate that he hasn't been able to process and that is like making him worse. Um, and so that she thinks that the way to help him is to figure out um, what happened. Um, but it's also the story of a boy named Solomon who lives in a fantasy world full of dinosaurs and monsters, um, who is trying to help his best friend, whose name is Ash, who is this refugee princess who's uh, being, um, you know, in a city where half the people are magic users and half the people are not. Uh, and there's great uh, tension and um, animosity between those two. Um, she's being um, stalked by an uprising movement of people who are uh, against magic. Um, and so it's sort of like these two stories. One is like the gritty realism of Ash trying to save Solomon. And one is the epic fantasy of Solomon trying to save Ash and the sort of worlds sort of coming together as they sort of go on their sort of separate quests. Um, so, you know, I don't know why 17 liked it. I'm happy they did. Um, you know, I, I, it was, it was ambitious. I don't, I don't know if, um, you know, I, I think I was, I, I tried really hard and think in some ways I was successful in sort of like doing this juggling act, um, mm -hmm. that, that hopefully people responded to. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that that is why. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. Animal companions and not dinosaurs. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the dinosaur is an animal companion. Solomon does have an Allosaurus that is his, that is his animal companion. So killing this thing. Um, yeah, I, um, <laughs> this is the this is the killer whale companion for Fantastic. Um, City, and this is the uh, Allosaurus companion 
that I got for wow. all monsters. Um, and I have a sperm whale for Art of Starving and a mammoth for the Blade Between um, because there's a mammoth in the Blade Between. That's awesome. Um, well, speaking of the Blade Between, uh, so it is your is your newest release. It was released back in December from Echo. Uh, what can you tell us about that novel? Uh, it's it's a horror novel. It's a supernatural thriller. Um, uh, it's about a, a gay guy with a lot of similarities to me. Who's a small town. Um, he comes from a small town named Hudson, where his father had a butcher shop at 310 Warren Street, just like mine did. Um, and, um, you know, that he had had to flee because of, um, you know, small town BS when he was young. Um, and that, um, you know, he returns there to take care of his father. But there's something really um, eerie and supernatural happening. And, and, and as the town has changed over time, um, and as a lot of like wealthy New Yorkers have been buying second homes and artistic types have been uh, moving up there and opening up coffee shops, um, there's been a lot of gentrification and displacement and a lot of his friends are really struggling uh, to, to stay. And so he sort of gets involved in a local movement against the displacement to try to stop the developers who are trying to change his town. And, and my actual hometown of Hudson, you know, is undergoing that dynamic. It has been transformed by... Um, a lot of um, you know wealthier folks moving in and buying up property and you know fixing it up and opening up antique stores and coffee houses um, and so um, this is me attempting to sort of think about um, an anti gentrification organizing movement plus uh, whales um, because you know Hudson in real life Hudson was a whaling town um, in the 19th century that was sort of the the engine of its rise to prominence. It was once a very powerful city and um, economically prosperous and lost by one vote um, when the um, New York state was deciding what its capital would be. Um, so at one point it was a big deal. It's not anymore, um, but whales were sort of the engine of its, of its rise to power. And so what if those whales, um, the whales that were sort of slaughtered for its benefit uh, were still there in some sort of like supernatural fashion um, it's sort of like, you know, there's like the old trope in horror of like the town with a secret, like Children of the Corn or The Lottery by Shirley Jackson or The Wicker Man, um, where there's something going on, whether it's supernatural or just creepy pagan, you know, human sacrifice shit. Um, well, what would happen if gentrification came to that town? Like The Shadow Over Innsmouth by H.P. Lovecraft. Like if there's this place where evil monsters or spirits or whatever are dominant, how would that change if rich people started moving in? Uh, and how would the, the supernatural um, element fight back? So so that's what that's what the blade between is. Okay. And uh, I, I'm gonna say this, that, that last little bit you said, you know, what happens when rich people move in? Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is kind of tackling that in, in the book I'm reading now with My Heart is a Chainsaw. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm about 20, 25% into it. And, that, and that's already kind of a big thing that's kind of going in there. Granted, his is, his is going for more like a big slasher kind of epic, uh, but uh, I, th I think that's that's really neat. So well, that's that's a comparison I'm deeply honored by because he's one of my favorite writers writing today. Mongrels is my favorite uh, werewolf novel ever, and I really right? love uh, <laughs> the Only Good Indians. So um, yeah, that's I haven't read that one yet, but um, I'm excited to. And yeah, I think this is an issue that's sort of like bubbling up in the in the in the in the community, like N.K. Jemisin's novel uh, The City We Became. Uh, talks a lot about that. Um, and, 
you know, I think we're starting to see this being a topic that that people are figuring out how to write about. It's been sort of like, oh, it's too complex. It's too, you know, whatever. Um, it, you know, it's, it's fundamental to how capitalism works. So what are you going to do? So I mm -hmm. think that that we're starting to see a shift that's starting to sort of broaden the conversation around how fiction can engage with real world um, oppression or or violence. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. To I didn't I didn't know that about about my heart is a chainsaw. So now I'm. Yeah, more excited to read it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really good so far. I I, I told him yesterday. I, I hope to have a review tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to happen. It might it might be Thursday. So, <laughs> but um, so I'm noticing a pattern of photographer protagonists. So, what's the story behind that? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, what is up with that? So, part of it is just that I do love to take pictures, um, and I you know. Uh, my father had a dark room and he showed me how to use it and it's always been really important to me but um, you know when you're when you're in your 20s as I once was um, you know you realize you can't do everything and so I was a painter and I was in a punk rock band and I was um, a photographer and I was a writer and then you go out and you get a full-time job and you have to pay your rent and you're like I am lucky to be able to do one of these things uh, <laughs> yeah. in any given week. So I kind of had to like let go of a lot of my aspirations. Um, but photography has always been really important to me and I still do it a lot. And I love that like, thanks to social media, I can share my photographs with the world. Um, the other reason though, is because I personally find writer protagonists really boring. Like every writer writes about writers. Um, right. And it's a very easy recipe for people to not be able to relate. Like either you're a writer yourself and you're tired of hearing about writers or you're not a writer and you don't understand how writing is. And so it doesn't necessarily, um, you know, you don't really get it or it's, it's, not, it's not the most exciting life. Um, so, you know, photography is like the more fun, exciting, interesting way to be a storyteller um, mm. that, that I hope people will connect with more than like, oh, here's another writer with a writer protagonist. <laughs> no your shade. No your, shade your next book's going to have a writer protagonist, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. No shade on writer protagonists. Plenty of writers do that well. I have nothing but respect for you if you can do that well. I can't. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, at least a photographer gets to like, tell models what to do and go places they're not supposed like physically go places you know it's just a yeah. little more it's a little more fun than the person like me who's just standing at home being like what if this happened right yeah i gotcha so um it's probably a difficult question to answer because it feels like it's been forever since we've actually been able to like go outside and do things but what are some of your favorite things to do outside of writing i mean obviously photography being one of them uh, do you have any, you know, do you have any other things that you really enjoy doing that when you, when given the opportunity you, you get to do? Uh, I love biking. I love riding my bike. I, it's my main mode of transportation in New York City, which means that I, um, you know, risk death several times a day because it's quite insane. Um, the, the, the life of a, the, the relationship between um, bicyclists and taxi drivers in New York City is like a never ending war. Um, but I do love biking and, and I, you know, now that I don't, that I can do my day job from my home um, and I'm not going out and about anymore, it's less easy to find reasons to go on bike rides. Um, so I miss that. I miss going to uh, movie theaters. I miss going to brunch. Brunch is a very important activity. Um, uh, you know, um, I, you know, we don't have a car in New York City. So it's like, you know, you're kind of at the mercy. You can't like go 
tons of places, but New York City has enough fun stuff that, you know, you don't move to New York City because you want to stay in your apartment all the time, right? Most mm-hmm. people who are in New York are like, I want to go to out dancing. I want to go to restaurants. I want to go see my friends who all live here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to just like be out and about, but also I really love being home all the time. And I am enough of a, of a like introvert slash extrovert that I enjoy, you know, getting home at a reasonable hour and um, not not riding the subway after midnight and uh, all that stuff. So, you know, it, as much as I'm like going crazy being inside so much, I got nothing to complain about. I'm like, oh, I, I have a job and a roof over my head and a person who I live with who I do not want to murder all the time. <laughs> this is, yeah. If you're going to go through a pandemic, this is, this is, this is the way to do it, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of that's what I was telling my wife. I was like, I really, I'm, I'm really realizing how much of an introvert I am just since the beginning of the pandemic. But since the beginning, I mean, we translate three months, we, we had a, a child. So then I'm like, I kind of want to get back out. <laughs> Cause yeah. it's just us two here all day. Most of the time. Cause yeah. she's a teacher and she went back whole time back in September um, and literally today has been the first day since I guess August that we've both been home during the day because she took her personal day. So I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I really enjoy working in, in my office and stuff, but sometimes I'm like, I kind of yep. want to go in the office. How weird does that sound? I used yep. to hate going to the office. <laughs> yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Like it'd be yeah. nice to go like maybe two days a week, maybe not five yeah. days a week, but like I miss having a place to go and, um, yeah. I miss my commute. I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks on my commute. Yeah. So uh, I, miss, I used to get exercise on my commute. So I miss exercise. <laughs> so uh, last question I got for you. What are some uh, some books maybe you've read recently that you'd recommend or maybe uh, a book or two that you think needs a little more attention? Well, the number one book that I am most excited about for uh, 2021 is a book called Summer Suns by Lee Mandelo. Um, which is a horror novel coming out from Tor that is just really beautiful, brilliant, like um, queer story um, with just like, like it hooks you. It's one of those books that just hooks you from page one of like this character's like plight, their want line, the thing they want, the situation that they're in of like their best friend who mysteriously died and they have to go home to figure it out. It's just like, it hooks you immediately if you're like on board and I'm going to follow them through some crazy shit. So um, Lee Mandelo's uh, Summer Suns uh, is really amazing. Um, I um, uh, have been reading all over the place. Um, I've been reading a lot of graphic novels because I'm thinking about writing a graphic novel. And so uh, Tilly Walden's Are You Listening um, uh, is incredible um, and uh, highly recommended. Um, anything by Kaya Shante Wilson is amazing. And um, his uh, novella, Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps, um, really rocked my world. Um, and there's a new book, uh, I think it just came, it was just published called On Fragile Waves by E. Lily Yu, who's one of my favorite uh, short fiction writers. And she just had her first novel come out and it's phenomenal. It's called On Fragile Waves. So those are my top uh, my top recommendations. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time today to, to come and chat. It was very nice meeting you. Very nice talking uh, and hearing about your books. Uh, I definitely know that I've got to get them 
add it up on the CBR <laughs> a little bit quicker than there because again, animal convenience, you can't beat them. So <laughs> thank you for having me. It's nice to chat. I would ask, I should ask you before you go, what is your top book recommendation uh, that I should be looking forward to? Hmm. I mean, do you read a lot of epic fantasy? You know, it's not my, it's not my fave. I do read some. Um, <laughs> Um, I used to think that I hated epic fantasy, but then I read uh -huh. Ursula Le Guin, and I'm just like, no, I just hate a lot of uh, epic <laughs> fantasy. Um, so, so you can give me okay. a recommendation. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you a recommendation, and I guess to the audience. So I finished uh, The Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. It's it's Viking fantasy. It comes out from Orbit in May. Uh, it, it blew my world. But if you want one more closely geared towards you, uh, are you familiar with uh, the horror writer Tim Meyer? Uh, that sounds familiar, but I don't. I can't. Okay, so he he's he he lives in New Jersey. He does a lot of small press stuff, Grindhouse. Um, he's got a new book coming out from Silver Shamrock called uh, *Malignant Summer*. It's his like uh, magnum opus. It's I forgot how many pages it was. I read it last summer, but it comes out this summer. Um, but I, I called it uh, *The New Generations*. It oh, so wow. definitely look for that one. Uh, well, if you, you want something super long, yeah. <laughs> if you want something that's a, a little bit longer, um, but is is really horror driven, and it's it's got a little bit of a YA feel to it too. So, but it's it's phenomenal. So that that would be my recommendation for you. Awesome, David. Thank you so much for chatting. Absolutely, for recommendations. Definitely. Well, you enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, maybe we can do this again sometime. Anytime. Perfect. Thanks, Sam. See ya.